and welcome to the first ever show of Goldsmith Ways In, The Harsh Truth. I'm Craig Scott Goldsmith, along with my co-host, Aaron, The Voice Phillips. Say hello to everybody, Aaron. Hello, everybody. Thank you. This is going to be a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. This show's topic is going to be on climate change and the Billion Man March. For those that do not know what the Billion Man March is, it's going to be the world's biggest block party on October 2nd of this year where people will go out onto their street in front of their house They'll take their phone with their phone lights and their flashlights and their candles and they'll point it to the sky and collectively we are going to send a massive important message to the UN that's meeting in November 1st in Glasgow, Scotland to discuss climate change, one of many meetings they've had. This time we want to send a message that we've talked way, way too long. It's time for some decisive action. On the show today, we're going to have a very, very special guest. Uh, we have got one of the world's top client climatologists. Uh, this gentleman has written books. He's written 270 journals. Uh, you cannot find somebody that knows more about climate change than uh, Dr. Kevin uh, Trenberth. So he'll be joining us shortly. Uh, we're going to be asking him some hard questions. That's why it's called the harsh truth. Uh, we're approaching 419 parts per million. We are not approaching it. We're there. And uh, that uh, uh, hasn't happened in three and a half to four million years. The last time that happened, uh, there were saber-toothed tigers roaming around uh, and woolly mammoths and uh, that kind of thing, and the seas were 78 feet higher than today. So we're on a trajectory that's uh, uh, heading us back into the uh, Pliocene period, uh, and, uh, and it would change the world and our way of life forever. So we're hoping that we can change that trajectory, and uh, that's why we're having uh, this show on this topic today. Uh, Aaron, uh, I'm... Uh, uh, done with the intro is there anything you got to ask well i you know what i just wanted to clarify the uh, 419 parts per million that was pertaining to co2 levels we were talking about right exactly holy when, cow yeah that's 419 and it's rising at three parts per million per year or three and a half so that's why everybody's saying gee we may have 10 years to try to get a handle on this but i think you're going to find a revelation in the show that that may not be accurate we may be getting you know bad Bad trouble comes faster than you like. <laughs> of course. And we may be seeing uh, things we don't want to see sooner than we'd like. Yeah, and, and to the lay people watching this, what does that parts per million, how does that affect things people will see every day? And I'm curious to learn more about how people can see what is being affected by this uh, O2 stuff. Well, you know, if you'll think CO2. back, uh, you know, to the uh, 90s or 2000, 2010, mm -hmm. you weren't seeing 200 climate change records being broken mm -hmm. uh, in a couple of months. Uh, you weren't seeing seven degrees above average temperatures all year long. Right. You were not seeing these extreme volatile temperatures. You know that building that just collapsed? Yes. They're thinking that may be linked to climate change because it's right next to the ocean and the water oh, is rising there. So it affects the foundation it, and everything. You got wow. it. Wow. So it's starting to affect everybody in one way or another. Okay. So it, it's a, it's, n there is no more important issue that uh, we as a, a civilization a yeah. or a, a species face. Yeah. That's crazy to think about that, that you know, billions of years of CO2 has been out there. But now within the last 20, 30, 40 years, whatever it is, for it to take this kind of effect on our environment is crazy. When you look back, you remember when there were clear skies in Vegas? Yeah. You know, I came here in the 70s. <laughs> yeah, it was perfectly clear. And we had cold winters. Yeah. No yeah. more. Those are gone. Yeah. You know, now it's uh, we don't have a we don't have a, f 
really a fall, right. uh, a winter. You know, we just kind of move right into spring, spring about yeah. three months early. I was going to say, winter's about, what, two weeks long in this town? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. exactly. Although coming from the East Coast, a two-week-long winter is nice to have, though. I will say that. Yeah, well, listen, there, <laughs> there's a point beyond uh, which it gets uncomfortable. No, of course. Yeah. Absolutely. No, I'm, I'm anxious to... Uh, Learn more about what's going on, and of course, then leading up to the Billy Man March event coming up October second. Oh boy! So even though October sounds so far away, it yep. really isn't because we're turning the calendar to July here in a couple of days. It's a hundred days, a hundred days, <laughs> and, wow! And you know, if you stop to think, they've had dozens and dozens of these meetings, and uh, they haven't really done anything to effectively, significantly right. lower CO2. Right. This is our last off-ramp, Aaron, our last off-ramp. we got to do something. They have to act or we're in deep trouble. Now, now locally, to those of us living in the air who've come to, to Vegas, our producer just put a picture up of Lake Mead, the dry bed with, oh. a, with a boat that had, I don't know if you can pop that up real quickly, but here's what Lake Mead looks like. What a use well, you could see in the background there the white band at the base of those rocks or, or this foundation around there. That of course as we know what used to be the height of the water levels. But be, but because and this is what it looks like now with the sandbars, but all that white at the bottom of that mountain in the on the right corner there, that was previous water levels. But because of heat, evaporation, climate change, now we're looking at potential water issues here in, in Southern California and we're fed by the Colorado River, which is having their own issues. Exactly. So, and, the, and the snowfall in the Rockies is way down. Yeah. We're at our lowest point on that lake in something like 70 years. Wow. So, yeah, you, the, the, it, all you have to do is look around you, and you can see some red flags of uh, climate change. Right. And if it's this bad now, where are we going to be in 10 years or 20 years? Now, I'd like to bring Kevin on, okay. Dr. Uh, Trenberth, and uh, if if that's is this good time. Well, you tell me, do we want to welcome him with our sponsor first, or did you want to uh, oh, yep. just bring him right in? Nope, break for a commercial, then we'll bring him in. There you go. All right, so on the other side of the break, we'll have our guests come in with us here. But first, this show is sponsored by Supernatural Blowfish 8. Do you enjoy fine products from all natural hemp? Well, if you do, then you are going to want the best American-made Delta 8. Blowfish 8 is not only supernatural, but there are no chemicals, no additives ever. We control the entire process from seed to grow to distillation and precise molecular selection to the finished product so that you can get the benefit of the purest, highest potency Delta 8 product available. So, if you are looking for the finest of hemp products that can deliver the most relaxing, pain-free experience, then Blowfish 8 is for you. Just go to Blowfish 8, and that's the number, Blowfish8.com, to find all of the products. You must be 21 or older to shop Blowfish 8. is not available in some states that restrict Delta 8 sales. A portion of Blowfish sales, though, goes to plant coral gardens to help replenish the coral reefs around the world. And we want to thank Blowfish 8 for sponsoring today's show. That helps pay the bills. There you go. All right. Now, Aaron, I'd like to bring on Dr. Uh, Trentworth, and uh, let's uh, tr see if we can uh, get him online. He's right there. Hello, Dr. Kevin. How are you, sir? I am fine, thanks. Good to hear from you. Hey, now, you're Dr. Trentworth, you're, Berth, you're in uh, New Zealand right now. I am, but I spent uh, 42 years in uh, in the U.S., I was uh, I'm a scientist at the National Center for Atmospheric Research in Boulder, Colorado, and I was there for 35 years. And I uh, have just retired, but I'm still active. I'm writing books and various other things. Gotcha. Now I have done a little bit of research on your background. I understand you're a fellow of the American Meteorological Society, uh, the American Association uh, for the Advancement of Science an honorary fellow of the uh, Royal Society of New Zealand. You've written over 270 articles uh, uh, on climate change, and you have too many awards and way too many citations for us to mention here. But uh, Dr. Trent Berth, your influence and impact on the scientific thought and understanding of the Earth's climate, according to what I have read, is frankly, sir, unparalleled. And we are just so very honored to have you on the show today. Now, are you ready for some tough questions on climate change? Sure, I'm happy to try <laughs> to answer what I can. Okay, that's wonderful. Uh, now, we're currently at 419 parts per million uh, in CO2 levels, is that correct? That's about right, yes. Of course, it goes up and down with, uh, with right. an annual cycle, and so there's a, 
there's a little bit of a drawdown uh, during the northern uh, spring and summer when the plants uh, take up carbon dioxide, and then right. there's a maximum uh, in the in the fall and the winter when the right. uh, decay of the leaves and branches on the forest floor put more right. carbon dioxide back into the atmosphere. Now, you're, we're growing at, uh, doctor, about three parts per million or three and a half parts per million for year. So it would appear to most people that we have still have about 10 years to get a handle on the problem. But when you add in the other greenhouse gases, the even more potent ones like methane and nitrous oxide that combined add another 25 parts per, mission, per million to the equation, then we're already at 443 parts per million and maybe as much as 450 already. So the big question is, are we already there or do we have another three to five years left to act? Uh, we all know that the 450 parts per million is the point of no return uh, line that most scientists say we are beginning to go outside of our boundaries uh, to be able to uh, handle some of the climate change problems and we risk triggering even more dangerous tipping points than we've already triggered. So where do you believe we are really in the climate chain pipeline? Are we already there or do we really have a, a little bit of time left to try to do something? Well, climate change is already with us uh, and it's already having major impacts. Uh, you know, the global mean temperature has gone up by uh, two degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, you know, that sounds like a relatively small number but superposed upon that is all of the weather that goes on and things like the El Nino phenomenon, which is very familiar to the, any listeners that are in California and so on. And uh, the uh, people up in the Pacific Northwest are, you know, experiencing temperatures in the hundreds or over 110 in, in uh, Oregon and Washington, uh, you know, as we speak. And, and so this is a symptom, uh, you know, global climate change is contributing to that. And, and it varies uh, where you are around the world. All of the wildfires and the drought in the, in the western parts of the United States are uh, exacerbated by climate change. The uh, hurricanes, a record number of hurricanes last year in the, uh, in the tropical Atlantic, uh, that is another symptom of uh, climate change. And so, and so the climate change is manifested in different ways in different parts of the world. Let me ask you this, uh, Dr. Trenberth. Uh, do you think that we've already hit that line uh, uh, beyond which we are really getting to dangerous uh, climate change? In other words, are we right at that line a 450 or just a, do you think we still got a few years left, a very slight window to do something? What's your personal opinion? Well, as I say, climate change is already happening. And what happens is that it's act, apt to be exacerbated as the numbers go up further and further. And, and that's the consistent warning of scientists, in fact, for about 20 years now. And, uh, and so at some point, there are some really irreversible changes that occur that cause major damage and i guess that's partly what people talk about uh and yeah I, i'm not sure what that picture is on the on the right there but you know superstorm stand sandy and examples of of that kind of thing and the devastation that occurs with it is occurring with increasing frequency in different parts of the world and uh, and and so uh, the the question is how much you want to tolerate and or can tolerate and it means also trying to assess as best you can what you think may happen and if possible build resilience if possible try to plan for it and offset that so that means you know, if you're up in uh, Seattle at the moment, you might want to rush out and buy an air conditioner, for instance. <laughs> <laughs> now, Dr. Trent Berth, uh, the, the picture on the left, of course, is an increasingly warming world. The picture on the right is if we don't change our trajectory, we could uh, kick out the underpinnings of civilization uh, by having it be overwhelmed uh, with some of the... Uh, uh, tipping points that we trigger along the way between now and 2050. So it is an existential problem that uh, could affect the way we 
all live, and it could affect a civilization, according to that article that we had up there, uh, by 2050. So, yes. So the, so the way in which it becomes a really existential problem is through the supply of water, drinking water, and, and also uh, food. And, and at some point, and, you know, the estimate is that it could easily occur somewhere around uh, about 2050, we may cross that point where farmers can no longer grow crops where they currently grow them. They may be able to grow something else, but it requires a major change in their whole way of doing things. Same thing with uh, all of the forests uh, in the Northwest, for instance. They may no longer be viable, and if a wildfire goes through, then they won't, they won't grow back anymore. And so the whole, the whole existence that we have right now begins to change quite radically, and the shortages of drinking water, uh, the, the kind of droughts that we see in the, in the western parts of the United States and in other parts of the world, Australia, uh, all of the wildfires and the air quality issues that go along with that, those become so large and so pervasive that it, uh, it's a major threat to the population and there becomes a lot of uh, what we call environmental refugees. People can no longer live where they currently are. Uh, they're struggling to find somewhere else and, and you can see the sort of things that have already happened in the last couple of years uh, that were sort of triggered by the war in Syria and, and, uh, and in other places, the strife in, in parts of Africa and all the refugees that are occurring and, you know, would they be allowed to settle in, in Europe? Uh, yeah. Will they be able to go elsewhere? Yep. And, so, and so that kind of a problem becomes so large that it becomes overwhelming. Exactly. And, and, you know, I think that graph shows that we're right at that black line or maybe a little bit before it uh, on the right. And on the left, uh, those are the nine tipping points. We've already triggered, I think, five or six, uh, like the Antarctic is irreversible now. And so I guess is Greenland. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, once we go past that black line, which is supposedly 450 parts per million, we really go into uncharted territory for our entire species. And by 2050, we're in trouble. By 2070, <laughs> we could be on that extinction list. So I had, I had read that corn, wheat, and rice will not germinate over six degrees on average Fahrenheit warmer. Uh, so you're talking about a food source that supplies half the world, if not more. So starving uh, people uh, at some point would not be a pretty picture. I, yes, can I yes, just? I, I'm sorry. That's I just, neat, but I, I want to make a make a point that if you know this meeting, this important meeting, the conference of the parties later this year, can really get a handle on this and take actions, that the whole problem can't. I don't think they can make the problem go away, but they can certainly slow it down. And so instead of 2050 being a critical point, they can push it to 2080 or, or 2100, for instance. And that has enormously beneficial effects because it allows us to do things along the way, to uh, develop new technology, to plan for it, and to adapt to what is already happening. And so one has to also have a little bit of optimism that maybe we can uh, take actions that are meaningful, and certainly the Biden administration is trying to do that and correct some of the uh, problems that arose uh, in the Trump administration. That was my next question, actually, and there is optimism and hope. That's why we are having the Billion Man March to, to try to send a signal that we'd like to see some action that would actually change our trajectory. But President Biden, uh, doctor, said that he's committing $2 trillion over 10 years to fight climate change and has pledged to cut CO2 by 50% in 10 years and to reach net zero by 2050. But from what your and my discussion is, isn't that really way too little, too late, if we risk triggering some of those other major nine tipping points that are going to cause us such overwhelming problems? Well, as I said, I think we are going to have to experience some climate change, which means there also needs to be a component that plans for the consequences that are already coming coming for uh, en route. 
And, uh, you know, I think, I think that could be manageable, but I'm not sure that that's a major part of what they're planning at the moment. So we are going to continue to experience some climate change with, uh, with the consequences of that. But we certainly need to get on with it. And the U.S. is a major player, a major leader on this, along with China. And if those two countries can really get their act together, then I think uh, the rest of the G7 and, uh, and the G20 countries would begin to come on board. The peer pressure becomes enormous. And I think you might be surprised at how rapidly things can change. And But, you know, the, the technology is built in, and it takes 10 to 20 years in order to have a really major change in our whole energy system. I just want to mention, uh, first of all, on our screen, you can see our phone numbers. If you have a question to call in, you can ask Scott, you can ask uh, the good doctor, 702-329-6947. Or if you are calling outside the United States, 1-855-502-4321. If you are watching this on Facebook on the Billion Man March page, we are monitoring the chat room for any questions, and you're welcome to do all of that so we can communicate and ask your question if you have any concerns about climate change and all that and what's that, what that's going to mean. Now, from my standpoint, I just have a quick, sure. quick non-technical non question oh, okay. for us non-techies. <laughs> okay, the, the things that we're talking about, the G7 summit and, and all of these things and some of the controls that the governments have to look at, those are obviously big sweeping programs and projects that have to go in place from a much grander scale, right? So, doctor, let me ask you this question. The layman, the everyday user of water in their front lawn, uh, cars idling in the colder winters, what can a household do day in and day out to conserve and protect our climate on, a, on an everyday basis, even if it may sound like a small part because parts per million and 450, to a lot of people, these numbers are so outside their scope of understanding that they're going to go, well, let's leave it to the government. What can people do on a day in and day out basis perhaps to help protect the climate? Yes. So I think the government has a key role by sort of setting the stage and and maybe uh, through tax policy and and some prices, uh, you know, things like a gas tax and stuff like that, they can help to set the stage. But yes, a lot of this action takes place at the state level, at the at the city level, and and at the individual level. And and so the problem relates primarily to the burning of fossil fuels, and that means uh, trying not to uh, burn coal, especially and uh, and even natural gas uh, and transitioning to more renewable energy and so that means uh, electricity becomes very important because we can generate electricity using solar and wind and and hydropower and you know maybe even a bit of nuclear thrown in there and if it's all integrated in the appropriate way so that we can move energy from uh, South Dakota wind farm or, or Texas wind farm to places where the uh, electricity is being used and uh, we can charge uh, a new electric car which might be in uh, people's driveway in, uh, in 10 years or 15 mm -hmm. years, something like that. And, and maybe smaller cars. You know, why do we need a big SUV to commute to, to back and forwards to work? Uh, why not a little uh, one-seater uh, vehicle that uh, certainly protects you from rain, but which is much, much more efficient. And, you know, we have to really start thinking outside of the box and on new ways of, of doing things. We, we saw some remarkable things during the pandemic where people stopped commuting. They're working from home. Why, why isn't that built into our system more? And, you know, if that kind of a, a transition can take place in the way in which we do things, uh, and that relates also to how friendly the technology is to enable that, then those are the sorts of developments that can make an enormous difference. Dr. Trenberth, uh, you know, uh, uh, just to kind of follow up on Aaron's question, mm -hmm. uh, it, it, it kind of boils down to park your car, maybe find that bike or walk or take mass transportation, right. eat less meat, change your diet, uh, you know, uh, uh, be... Uh, plant a tree or two or five or ten, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. There are things, yeah. that, uh, massive things that individuals can do. And, uh, and together, 
no matter what the government does, it has to eventually loop back to us, and we have to do it. And that's, that so, was my point. So yeah. we might as well just start yeah. doing it now and save the government a lot of time. Because from what I heard you just say, uh, the 10-year plan for uh, Biden may be a little bit uh, farther out than we need it to be. Uh, we really need to get something significantly done in five years, but we have an awful big boat to turn. This is a very, very we, big boat. We have a question that just came in in the chat room, and this is from Terry, who's listening. And thank you, Terry. How does not eating meat help the environment? Well, it's real simple. It takes a whole lot of grazing land that they have to cut down forests to provide to the cows so they can make that hamburger. Okay. Yeah, and it, it's just a tremendous amount of water, mm -hmm. a tremendous amount of, of agricultural space, a uh, tremendous amount of deforestation to enjoy that uh, Burger King or right whatever burger. Thank you, Terry, for the question. Now, Dr. Trenberth, I got one more question for you. Uh, or actually, more than one. But yeah. have you seen any plan or heard of a plan that would be a practical, effective plan to deal with climate change within the time frame we need. And let's just say that time frame is really five years instead of 10. See, this is a problem. Let me, let me just uh, interject one other thing that we didn't touch on, and that is uh, heating and cooling of houses. Uh, this relates good. to air conditioning and especially all through uh, you know, the Midwest and so on. It gets cold in winter. And so how, how do you deal with that? And, and there are tremendous gains that can be made through improved efficiency and uh, insulation uh, of various kinds. And, and so uh, actually that in the short term, that's where some of the biggest gains can, can actually be made. Also, and, in, and so, also in building, so, buildings and industry as well. Yes. Uh, and, and so... Uh, Part of it relates to people's attitudes, too. I mean, one of the things that used to annoy me is you go to somewhere like Miami in the middle of summer and you need to put a jacket on because the air conditioning is on and it's so cold inside. And then you go down there in winter and it's so hot. I mean, the seasons are actually reversed inside. Good heavens. Why not wear a sweater in the middle of uh, winter and, uh, and take it off in, in summertime? So there are some sensible things like that that, that are very easy to do and uh, improve the installation in your attic and so on. Doctor, so, have, have you seen any plan or heard of any plan that's going to get us out of this trouble? Not really entirely. And let me use a couple of examples. Uh, in France, they uh, just decided to put in a gas tax. And they just... Good in place and then there were all of these so-called yellow jacket protests and it shut down the whole country and so they here they were trying to cut down on the use of gasoline but they implemented it in an extremely poorly manner and so this is the role of politicians in particular it's how you go about this stuff as also as what you do and and what is viable and if you try and do things too fast then the public reacts and reacts very negatively and you may not get anywhere. So a five-year time frame makes it very difficult. I think uh, it, it, you have to plan this and uh, uh, get people's expectations, but you also have to do it in the right way. And so if there is a, a price on carbon uh, put, put in place, it has like to be that. done gradually and the public has to see that there are benefits from that in other areas. And so that if there were, I mean, the simplest example would be, would be gasoline and, and, a, and a gas tax. And so if, if we put the gas tax up by a dollar tomorrow, the reaction would be enormous and people would protest and, they, and, and there would be all kinds of reactions and it wouldn't, be, wouldn't work. But if we put the gas tax up by a penny tomorrow, people wouldn't even notice. And so if you did it a penny a month or a penny every two let's say a penny every two weeks so after a year the gas tax is up by 25 cents people still wouldn't really even notice after two years after four years it's up a dollar and it goes inexorably upwards or i'm going to get a smaller car and so it changes the decision process of individuals 
And I use this as an example because it's the sort of thing we have to do across the board in all of the other areas and provide uh, incentives and uh, carrots uh, as well as some sticks. I agree with you, Doctor. Those, that's a, actually an excellent idea you just uh, put forth. Uh, but uh, it gets down to, you know, our time frame of solving this problem may not be Mother Earth's time frame of creating this problem. You know, I don't have to tell you that uh, we've got the potential for, I think there's 7,000 methane implosions now that they're finding in Siberia and Alaska. Maybe you could put up a picture of one of those yep, for us. Yep, it's coming up right now. Yep, there you go. And, 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 you know, it could get hotter and come quicker than any of us want or uh, even could imagine it could. So, uh, you know, methane has the ability. It's uh, been the culprit in four out of five of the extinctions, uh, all but the one with the dinosaurs. So, you know, it's there, and, and we're already disassociating part of it. So it could come a lot quicker than we'd like. So I guess the question is, is there's no real plan that you know of or that I've heard of or you know, have heard of that really addresses the plan within the time frame we'd like to see it. So that means we're subject to adaption to the whatever is coming our way. The, is, uh, uh, let me see if I did. I guess the bottom line on this, uh, Dr. Trenberth, is are we just too late? Do we need to just work out an adaption plan and, and, uh, and, and, and do the best we can? Maybe, you know, by 2100 we'll be living underground or something. I don't know. What's your opinion on uh, where we're headed? Well, we certainly need to do everything we can and put things in place so that 20 years from now, we are doing things rather differently than we are now. But at the same time, there will be climate change and climate change effects. We need to recognize that those are coming. We need to uh, plan for them. We need this. So this is the so-called adaptation. We need to uh, do assessments of where we are most vulnerable, where the rising sea level is going to cause a whole lot more sunny day flooding and on the east coast and so on, and, uh, and the erosion in coastal areas along the coast of California. All of those kind of problems uh, are, are things that we need to expect and plan for and try to build resilience to them. And if we do those two things hand in hand, try and stop the problem as best we can, but I don't think we're going to completely succeed, and then plan for the consequences, that's, the, that's what the future really looks like to me. I, I just have one last question sure, for me, because I mean, we could do hours on this, but did the pandemic, with everybody being shut down, and like you uh, alluded to earlier, we couldn't drive to work, we couldn't go out, Roughly, let's say that was for a 12-month period for all intents and purposes. Did that buy us any additional time to add to our bank of, okay, we have a little more time now because we were closed and couldn't do anything for a year. Did that buy us any time towards a resolution time frame? Well, there were a number of reports that received quite a lot of media attention that the carbon dioxide from fossil fuels had decreased and was quite a lot less. Okay. Uh, during this past year than previously. But the trouble was, if you looked at the total carbon dioxide, it kept going relentlessly upwards, as we talked about earlier. And the reason is because of all of the wildfires in California, especially all of these so-called bushfires and wildfires in uh, Australia. And so there are all of these other things which are actually related to climate change that we're putting more carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. And so the carbon dioxide increases kept, kept occurring regardless of the pandemic. But the pandemic was certainly an indicator that, you know, if, if things really change, we can make some differences. But then, uh, you know, we need to plan for uh, all of these other consequences. And the wildfires are one of them. Now, Dr. Trent Berth, uh, do you think that the UN Conference on Climate Change, I think this is maybe the 21st conference on climate change uh, since Kyoto in 1997 was adopted, uh, and they, of course, blew by every uh, CO2 uh, reduction goal or emission goal that uh, they set, including the one they did in France. Uh, uh, do you think that this particular meeting that they are going to 
do what's necessary to try to put climate change in check? Do you think there's that feeling of we have to get something done? What are your colleagues and what are your sources telling you? On climate change. Right. And they, they have issued major reports about every six or seven years. The latest one has been delayed, but it's coming out in the next few months. And it's going to really uh, emphasize a lot of things that we've actually been saying now for about 20 years, but it's going to make those points a lot stronger as ammunition for the politicians that are going into this conference of parties later this year. And, and so the, the question will come back to uh, the, the politics and uh, uh, setting good examples by some countries. There are quite a number of countries, including uh, the U.S. and New Zealand, who have uh, declared that they were, they're going to try to uh, go to uh, cut, that cut out, uh, become carbon neutral by 2050. And... Uh, uh, the question is, can we get all of these other countries on board? Can we speed up the changes in, in China, uh, uh, changes in India? Uh, you know, what about Africa? If Africa starts to develop, suddenly uh, all of the gains that are made in other countries could be completely offset. And, and so, um, you know, part of the problem comes back also to delicate issues like population. Uh, are there too many people in the world? Are yes. we eating too many, uh, too much beef? And uh, could some of it be better spent on other food products? And uh, this relates to diet and so on. And so there all of these kind of questions that are out there. I think there's a very good team associated with the White House and with the current administration that are aware of the political difficulties in in addressing this and are trying to step along very carefully uh, uh, but are receiving no help whatsoever from the republicans in congress at the current time and yet everybody gets affected by by climate change and i don't i really do not understand that attitude at all well that dr uh, trent berther absolutely is nowhere to run for anybody we all got to going to feel the effects of climate change but i i it's feel a global problem i'm sorry it's a global problem it's a global problem there's nowhere you can run so i feel the the politicians make great rhetoric but when it comes down to it they politely sidestep any real solid uh measurable action because we support the oil and coal industry to the point i think of 5.6 trillion dollars around the world in subsidies and for other things so i don't know when you're dependent on getting elected and you need that money from uh chevron it, it it's not clear whether you're actually going to do anything about it or not that's that's a major part of the problem indeed you 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 hit the nail on the head right there Exactly. I, I just want to check with the good sure. doctor because he mentioned before sure. he went on the air that he may, he's got something going on after we're done yeah so doctor i just want to check on your time Are you doing okay uh, yes, what is it? It's uh, 941 here. Uh, yeah, I, I've got five okay. minutes. Okay. Uh, all right. I okay. just want to make sure. <laughs> we'll be done in a few minutes. Uh, one more, a couple other questions, Doc. Uh, they've uh, uh, projected that 37% of all the species on the planet, not all of them, but most of the species, could go extinct if you could show that uh, graph up there by. Uh, you know, 2050. Aaron, and, if you and, can bring up that this the uh, extinction right. slide again, please. And we uh, we ourselves could be in trouble between 2070 and 2100. Uh, what's your personal feeling? Are are we on our way out as a species uh, due to our own uh, anthropogenic uh, sixth extinction that we ourselves caused, or uh, do you think uh, there's some real hope that uh, they can marshal the forces? And why I say Marshall, maybe a Marshall Plan type of, uh, of uh, implementation of a project that could uh, maybe sidestep some of this. Uh, Australia lost, what, some billion animals during the fires last year, and uh, maybe a billion and a half. And uh, they, they would probably get hit hardest on this extinction chart. 
I think Australia is certainly one of the countries that needs to change radically, and I, I think the Australian government has, has had a, a terrible attitude towards this whole problem. And, you know, I'm in New Zealand. Actually, there's a, there's a reason I'm in New Zealand. I think New Zealand will be better off than many other places around the world, right. go on everywhere else. And, uh, and so the New Zealand government has certainly tried to play their role, but you know, we're one of the minor players and we sort of get dragged along with, with the big guys uh, and especially uh, China, Europe and, uh, and the US. And, uh, and so those are, those are the key three areas that can really play a leadership role and, uh, and help to change things. And I think major change could occur on about a 10 to 20 year time, you know, the average lifetime of a car is about what, 12 years. So, you know, the next generation of cars could be an entirely different. And uh, there are signs that these kind of things are happening. Uh, certainly the politicians can put in place a lot of the things to make that happen. But uh, industry is, is not adequately on board at this time uh, in, many, in many cases. Uh, doctor, if you could address the UN Assembly yourself in Glasgow yep. in November 1st, what would you say to them? Well, I think overall we need to put a price on carbon. Uh, that means uh, that uh, if, if, I mean, what, what tends to happen at the moment is you have a, a town which says, we're going to be responsible. We're going to put a penalty on electricity or, or gas usage. And the next thing you know, the companies that are in there, they move out of town into the town next door. <laughs> or they, they do it from California and they go to Texas. And, and so unless everybody is doing this, is that this is where the national policy aspects become very important, uh, then companies will just move. And they can move from one country to another country even. And so this is where things like tariffs and, uh, and trade policies come into play. And this is one of the reasons why the whole problem becomes so complex, because there is, in the past at least, there has not been somebody in Washington who is in charge of the whole problem. Instead, it's one secretary versus another versus another in different areas, and they're all arguing for their own cases and the whole thing is not pulled together. But I think this administration has come as close as any to trying to put that framework in place, both internally and also internationally, John Kerry internationally, to try, try this. But it's a major challenge for these guys. And uh, I just uh, have my fingers crossed. <laughs> Dr. Kevin, I know, I know you're kind of watching the time. I have a, we have a question that came in from a viewer in Canada what do you think of the carbon tax in Canada and do you think it is working and or how does it even work in the first place? Yes, yeah, so that, that was an example. That's very courageous of, of Canada to do, to do that and I, I really like to see it. And, uh, uh, and the thing is that it needs to be brought in, but then it, you know, the, the carbon tax actually has to increase gradually over time. And at the same time, as you increase that carbon tax, you want to you know, decrease the, the, the tax on food or, or something else so that there's no net cost to the so-called man or woman in the street. Uh, and and, and uh, they, the incentive then is to use more. And that's the challenge for politicians in, in order to, uh, you know, how do you do that? Dr. Trenberth, uh, you know, I've, I've been kind of following this for a long time, since 2004. I, I know that the uh, ICPP realizes that some kind of carbon capture is going to be necessary to try to solve this uh, problem uh, within time. Uh, what would you think about the G20 coming together and building 20,000, 1,000 each of uh, these uh, 1 billion ton, or 1 million ton, I'm sorry, uh, CO2 extraction plants uh, that's up in Canada. I think carbon engineering is the one who uh, invented it and uh, Bill Gates invested in it. And if we could do 20,000 of those, uh, Dr. Trenberth, and we could do maybe follow Princeton's uh, uh, 15 wedge 
plan for reducing carbon and everybody kind of individually got on board uh, by eating less beef and planting a few trees and buying an electric car uh, and we had a carbon tax. Don't you think that there would be some way that we could collectively solve this problem before we lose, you know, what, 37% of the animals on the planet and put ourselves behind the eight ball? I certainly think we can make progress in, in that area. I'm not sure I would devote a lot to the carbon capture aspects of things. It's much better to leave the coal in the ground in the first place uh, yeah. rather than put it in the atmosphere and then try and catch it where it's very diffuse. And the problem is that it takes quite a bit of effort and energy to do that. And so the returns are not that great. It's much better not to burn it in the first place. And so that means transitioning to uh, renewable energies uh, as fast right. as we can and providing the incentives and the new technologies to, to do that. And, uh, and, you know, I think we can certainly make progress. And I, I, I do want to uh, put the message across that there is uh, some reason for optimism that we can make progress on this. But as you have emphasized all the way along, uh, the timeline <laughs> is getting tighter and tighter, and uh, we really do need to make substantial advances fairly quickly. We, we have a very, very slight, tiny window, if we have any at all. And I think I'd like to, you know, uh, uh, kind of end it there with our discussion. You've been wonderful. Your, your answers are dead spot on. Uh, if I got the gist of it, let me see if I can kind of summarize. We are running out of time if we have any left at all. We are going to have to adapt. Uh, the countries are going to have to come together a lot. Uh, more cohesively with a plan uh, and it's still going to take this big boat 10 to 20 years to try to make the turn. Do I have that correct? Yes, basically. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's all I want to There know. you go. You don't know how pleased I am to have you on the show and uh, to spend your time with us all the way from New Zealand. So uh, when you come to Vegas, uh, uh, Aaron and I are going to... Uh, take you out and uh, show you the best spot in Vegas and uh, buy you and your wife dinner. There you go. And when, when, when the climate change gets really bad, we're Aaron and I are coming to New Zealand That's to live with you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thank you, Dr. Kevin. Thank you great. so much, Dr. Trent Berth. I appreciate it. And uh, have a great rest of your day. And Aaron and I will take it from here. All right. Thank you very much. Thank, thank you. you. Right on. So, Aaron, what do you think? What do I think is, is my head is spinning when you think about extinction and, uh, you know, growing up, you only know of the word extinction when it comes to dinosaurs and pterodactyls and all that stuff. But now, you know, when you're looking at what's out there, you, you know, we're in trouble. We've been in, listen, climate control, climate change rather has been in our vernacular easily for what, over 20 years with Al Gore talking about it years right. ago and all that. And yet here we are, we really haven't done anything to really solve it. Not, yeah, on a globally level, but again, even just at home, there are things we could be doing. I mean, I drive a, a semi, you know, hybrid purposely. He mentioned, the, you know, adding gas price, you know, gas taxes and price. Listen, I don't want to pay $3.70 per gallon now. That's why I got a partial hybrid because of all the driving I do. My wife, she's on a plug-in. She's got a Ford C-Max. It's not 100% perfect, but it is still reducing our gas usage by that little that little bit. So there is a lot of things that we can do locally under our own roof and collectively. I think that'll make more of an immediate impact on what we need to do before we wait for the government. It all wait, comes back to us to do it anyway. Always so starts we, at why, home. Why not do it in advance? Because, you know, it's only our lives at the end of the day exactly. that this affects. Exactly. So, and the governments, you know, they're getting a few donations from yeah. the uh, energy companies. Right. And, you know, I, 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 I drink a lot of the plastic bottle water, sure. right? And I'm told uh, Rita, I said, can we do it with them about plastic? She said, I don't know what to do. Right. And I talked to them, I said, well, we recycle. And they said, well, you know what they do with that, Scotty? They take our plastic bottles, they crush them down, right. they send them over to countries that have lax environmental problems, and it ends up in our oceans anyway. Well, here's what I've done. I got me a steel container. I use the filtered water that comes out of my refrigerator purposely to reduce our plastic. So okay. I know we're watching the time, but October 2nd is pretty oh, important. I really want to cover yeah. that if we can. The, the important takeaway from this show has got to be the Billion Man March. If we can get 
everybody that's that that that's in earshot distance around the world to tell a friend and have them tell a friend and have them go out on October 2nd at 7 p.m. at night, take their phone, shine it into the sky, take their flashlight, shine it into the sky, take their candle, whatever they got, and we can make an impression on the leaders around the world that we're out of time. Uh, from what I heard the doctor say, uh, we're out of time and we don't have a great plan. No, we don't. <laughs> so, you know, it's up to us this individuals and society and grassroots to come up with the plan. Let's make the governments accept the plan that we have and let's get out there and send a message to the United Nations Conference on Climate Change November 1 through the 12th come up with an actionable plan that actually works and let's preserve our way of life on this planet it's a great planet it's got some wonderful animals i love nature i don't want to see a third of it gone i want to my kids or grandkids or whoever next generation i want them to have just a good uh, earth to enjoy as i had and so at that, I'd like to close the show. Aaron and I will uh, see you again down the road uh, at, at, at a later date. We'll have another show and an update. Uh, in the meantime, Aaron, parting words? Uh, parting words, folks. We can all make a difference. Just one, sm one small minor change in your daily routine to affect climate, can, climate change can make the difference for a long time. And uh, October 2nd, no matter where you are, just turn those lights on, man. And like Jim Jeffrey said at the end of his show, we can all do better. Hey, thank you so much. Thanks, Aaron. Thank Appreciate you. It. See you soon.